This is Our American Stories, and our next story, well, it's about Justin McElroy, a Huntington, West Virginia native who, like many of us, started his career on one path, but wound up on a completely different one. Here to tell us about it is Justin. I sort of got an acting and directing degree by default, um, which is to say I didn't think about it much. I just sort of liked doing theater and didn't have much of a plan beyond that. I guess I, on some level I assumed that if I had that, then I would either, I, I couldn't get a boring job. Like there's still only so many jobs uh, you can do with a theater major. Um, and that was about as far as the thinking went. Um, and at a certain point, um, probably about my junior year of college, I wasn't getting cast in like lead roles. And it occurred to me, I had this thought, man, if I can't get lead roles at my college in West Virginia, how I don't think I'm going to go to New York and make a living doing this. And like, I realized that I tried to, I almost switched my major to journalism, just, you know, where the real money is. Uh, but I didn't, I just kind of stuck it out, ended up going to college for five years. Cause I failed Spanish and eh, them's the breaks. And, uh, and then I graduated and uh, immediately put my degree to use uh, working at Best Buy uh, and Borders, the now defunct Borders. I like started freelancing while I was still working at um, Best Buy and Borders, um, writing a weekly section called The Edge. The Edge. From my uh, local newspaper that was like youth focused, um, you know, young people doing cool stuff in the area and I did that for years I did that to like because nobody else wanted to do it and uh, that's how I got my first job as a news editor at the Ironton Tribune I worked out from a reporter to news editor uh, which I was in no way qualified to do but I was cheap uh, and I started I, from there I transitioned to the Herald Dispatch which is my local newspaper it's my hometown here in Huntington West Virginia covering Marshall University the University beat uh, as it was I was actually there at a really fun time because it was uh, when they were filming the, the movie We Are Marshall. And the entire town was losing its mind. I mean, absolutely melting down with like frequent sightings of Matthew McConaughey and Matthew Fox and assorted and sundry other Matthews. Um, it, it, yeah, you cannot go into a subway here without the, there, there being a picture of Matthew McConaughey from the time he was in subway. <laughs> it's, it is, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. All right, all right, all right. The entire time that I I was working uh, in news, what I wanted to do was write about video games. I mean, that's where my, um, really my passion was. I, I had grown up on not just video games, but video game journalism. Like I had like four different magazine subscriptions to different video game publications growing up. Um, and it was, it was something I really cared a lot about. And I wanted to transition from writing straight news to write about video games because I thought that would just be the most fun thing in the world. But... I started applying, trying to like do freelance gigs, trying to pitch articles, trying to take um, the tactic that eventually worked was offering to do reviews that no one else would want to do. Just like bitter dregs, bottom of the barrel, uh, several hunting games. Um, and that's eventually how I started building up clips. And I, and I got to this race to try to 
work at as many magazines as I could before they got closed down because they were like a dying breed just as I was getting started. So I was like, okay, I got to get into official Xbox magazine and PlayStation, the official magazine and GamePro and PC Gamer and, you know, and on and on just so I could like get the clip before. And like after I worked at one, I would just stop because it's like, okay, I got that clip. I, I want to see how many different magazines I can get so I can put them on my, my resume because I think I had a sense that that would make me seem very distinguished. Uh, pretty quickly as these faded out of existence. But um, the story of how I got actually got hired at Joystick is hilarious and terrifying because I, I put, so I put uh, my whole career, the reason I got onto this trajectory um, and everything that came after that was started with Joystick, which was AOL's video game blog. I had applied to Joystick and hadn't heard, and like I, I was doing this with every publication, every gaming publication. I applied to Joystick because I really like Joystick. And I applied to Joystick and uh, didn't hear anything for months. And just to say, and they hired two other people. And uh, meanwhile, I was writing about video games for like the newspaper, the Herald Dispatch, let me keep my own video game blog. And it was, who cares? Like no one's gonna read my video game blog, but I made it seem like something we should have. You know, we really need a, a video game blog, guys. So I was, I was writing, a, it was called Blog the Video Game, which is stupid. Um, but I was, uh, so I was writing that, and uh, I found some old clips of this Laserdisc game called Gallagher's Gallery. And I thought, you know, Joystick might be interested in posting these. Uh, so I sent them off to Joystick, and the editor, Chris Grant, saw them. He is uh, a lovely person, but can be a little bit scatterbrained sometimes. Said, oh, th- yeah, I, I was looking for your, I'm glad you sent this. I was looking for your content information. The people we hired didn't work out, but I remember liking your clips. And I was wondering if you, um, you know, would still be open to, to working for us. There's a wild sequence of events uh, that, that would take from A to B were like I had to find that Gallagher's gallery clip and I had to write a post about it and just happen to send it to Joystick and like there's a lot of luck tied up in that and it's pretty scary but it's also like I think there's something to be learned there from just who who knows nobody knows who knows I don't know who knows try everything because you never know what spaghetti's going to stick to the wall honestly We left Joystick, Chris Grant, Griffin, and I all left Joystick, and Arthur Geese uh, left Joystick, and we were sort of the four uh, first people uh, of the eight co-founders of Polygon. So I started, I mean, I was the managing editor, sort of the number two person when when we founded the site. Um, I was really involved with Chris for a lot of... uh, uh, the aesthetic decisions and the managerial decisions and figuring out who to uh, bring on and, and everything. Um, so I was sort of like his, his number two person um, and responsible for a lot of the stuff on the site. When we were at Joystick, uh, we did the Joystick podcast. We did 200 some episodes and really helped, it really built a really decent following. And the audience for the joystick podcast was sort of like the seed audience or the base group of people that my brother, my brother and me, when we launched was built from the joystick podcast audience because they were very rabid and supportive. And I've done that with every podcast I've launched since then has been about 
building off a seed audience, a core audience, and then moving them to a new thing. My brothers had lived in Huntington for my whole life. And when Travis went to college, uh, he, he went to school in Oklahoma University, and then Griffin went to school at Marshall, and then the two of them moved to Cincinnati. And uh, I found that like we had started to lose touch. I mean, we weren't talking as much as we used to, not nearly as much as we used to. And uh, I wanted to see what we could do to change that. So my brother, my brother, me really started as an opportunity for the three of us to keep in better contact to talk to each other more um griffin and i were in video games in that industry but travis really didn't know uh that space particularly well um so we picked advice as like to sort of a general topic that all three of us could like bloviate on um you know tell people how to live their lives it seemed pretty easy um and at that point and in, in podcasting it was 2010 you didn't really need a great premise for a podcast. I mean, there was only like four of them. <laughs> so like, that, that's exaggeration, but like there weren't a lot. So, it, you know, it, it is a much different day. You have to, uh, <laughs> you, you know, these days you have to be very focused with your hitches, but um, we we had a pretty general one from a brother or brother me, but it, it worked out okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, I've uh, just, my baby monitor has just begun to go off. So I need to go upstairs and get the, my kiddo. If you need any like pickup stuff or anything, you know, you know, this is missing. Just give me a buzz and we'll just like hop back on Skype or whatever. It's, it's no big deal. And that's how Justin left things off. And we wanted to know more. And by the way, what a unique voice. And we love voices from every industry, every age group and every part of this great country. And my goodness, we wanted to hear more from Justin, and we know you do too. So after the break, we'll bring you more of his unlikely story and how despite numerous podcasts and hundreds of millions of downloads, they've kept family at the center of it all. Justin McElroy's story, here on Our American Stories. with Justin McElroy's story and we had heard about how he started a podcast to keep in touch with his brothers. Well, that just sort of accident, that just sort of diversion ended up becoming his living. My Brother, My Brother and Me is one podcast, The Adventure Zone, and so many others. And that's the story of life. And we love telling stories like this on Our American Stories. Now let's hear about how much family means to Justin and how he's used his success to give back to his community. Back to Justin McElroy's story. We grew up goofy on each other, um, and that was the way that we would communicate. We would you know, try to make each other laugh, try to make dad or mom laugh. 
Um, and it was like a primary form of communication in our house. You know, things didn't get serious for too long. Um, I've later learned uh, in my adult years, sometimes to our detriment, there's a lot of like conversations that it's hard to work gags into, you know, but um, it can get tricky. We've, we've always said that like, if, especially as it became more of a job, we, we had to have a lot of really hard conversations. Like if this ever gets in the way of us being a family, like we have to stop, like the whole thing will stop. And having that there as sort of a escape hatch, no fight could ever be too big because you can't really walk away from it because it's your family. So you better figure out how to make it work. Um, and and I think that like we've we've kept that spirit through all of it. Like our relationship as a family is always more important than the work. There's no um, creative decision or anything that that equals that. So. When we do that, we keep that in perspective. I think it makes for a really fun place to to collaborate in um, because you're you're stuck with your collaborators. I trust my family um, more than anybody on the planet, and I am myself. At the for the most, the people who are in my family are the people that that truly know me, with with just a couple of exceptions. Um, so very dear friends, but, but by and large, I mean, my family is it. Um, and especially now that I have kids, that's it. Having children for me has like clarified so much of what we do because there is a point to all of it. And there's a value to, um, every moment that I'm creating something is, uh, a moment that I'm not spending with my kids. So I really, it has to all count. It has to all be worthwhile. Um, and involving them in like when we go on tour and bringing our, our children um, has made it seem so much more purposeful um, and so much more worthwhile. Uh, and, and that's really important to me and, and is a huge reason that, that this continues to be sort of the best, best job I've ever had. We are probably in communication more than any family, certainly a family of adults that I know. I mean, we talk constantly. Um, and there's a warmth there and a familiarity, I think, that a lot of families don't have just because they're not in the, like, forced <laughs> proximity that we constantly are. I'm not complaining. It's just it's just the, the, the facts of it. The Appalachian region uh, that that I am from is almost never represented well um, uh, in in mainstream media. I mean, there have been a couple of different TV shows. the The one TV show that was filmed in Huntington was Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution, and that was uh, a show about him coming to Huntington to teach people how to eat because everyone was so overweight. Um, and it's like that's that's like emblematic of uh, there was another show called like Big and Loving It or something like that that was like people wanted to come like come and film people who are overweight and just like thrilled about it and that 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 project didn't come to fruition but um, the my region is very rarely represented very well uh, that that sort of idea that these states that aren't New York or California are just sort of like untenable backwaters that that from which no good can arise 
there's so many cool, interesting people here, and their stories just aren't being told. Like it's not, it's it, it you know, it doesn't have that like mainstream exposure. Th- th- those stories just aren't out there. And for me, the podcast studio was just kind of a way to streamline it for people because um, podcasting is not especially challenging to do. It's hard to do well, but it's not hard to do. And um, I felt like if, if we could save a few steps, then maybe, uh, you know, we might be able to encourage some people to get some of those voices, some of those voices out there. I think the most effective way to tell their story is to let them tell it. Uh, and I feel like podcasting is a really great way to do that because there's very little barrier to entry. Anybody can pull a show together and broadcast a show and, and, and grow that audience. Um, not to say everybody finds an audience, but it, but the barrier to like creating the content is low. Um, and I think that that like really empowers people to tell their own story and not have to rely on others to, to tell it for them. And I feel like the people here, uh, um, it's the sort of thing where they would, it, it is a tradition of, of storytellers, right? Like, folk tales and stuff like that like is part of our heritage but um i think just digitizing that and bringing it to a wider uh community of people i think is the best way to start to shift those stereotypes about people from this region and like and and uh, i think it's amazing that the internet has allowed people to to do that we got this thing uh in our area called the um the empty stockings list and it comes out every Christmas and it's like people in the tri-state area which for us is we're right on the border of Ohio and Kentucky in, in Huntington so we think of that as like a region with Ashland and um, like South Point and Ironton place in, in Ohio but uh, people in the tri-state area that don't aren't going to have anything for Christmas and I think it was like five years ago I was reading this list and it's like so depressing because it's not just like kids who want a Paw Patrol toy although there is that um, but it's like people who don't who would like a, a better tent for sleeping on the river and people who like don't have a bed and stuff. And I took this list of, it's probably like 200 people. And I took this list to our, our Facebook page. And I said, like, if anybody that will help with this, that anybody that will do like give to this and buy something, we will record a personal thank you to you. Um, and we, we did that. It was called the Mabimam angels is what I started calling them because they filled the entire list in the matter of a week. They bought it all. And then the following year, we didn't ask, they just did it. And they, the list came out and they filled it all. Uh, and then the newspaper that puts the list together started giving it to them early and adding more things to it. And then after they fill the needs, they raise money and they've bought, uh, beds and uh, furnaces and uh, uh, handicap accessible ramps and um, I mean like it's it's wild and it is like so not us it is just them like in say last year and for the 2018 Christmas season they did they did not us they did 16 beds uh, 32 pillows two sofas two ovens two strollers a car seat a refrigerator, table and chairs, eight space heaters, clothes, shoes, and toys for every kid on the list. And it's like, it's like, I, I, that's not me. It's just, I'm really fortunate to have really good people who like our stuff. And when you're fortunate to have that, it just seems weird to not, you know, point it towards your home. Mm-hmm.
And you were just listening to Justin McElroy, and great job on that to our team, as always. And we've long opined that the South, Appalachia, a lot of flyover country, well, it's just, if not misrepresented, not covered at all. And I'm not sure which is worse, uh, being slighted or being ignored. But here at Our American Stories, we do the opposite, just as Justin does. So many interesting and remarkable people live all over this great country, and that's why we decided to do a big national show out of a small town, because they all come from big towns. And that doesn't make any sense. Justin McElroy's story, a bit of a story about a misfit who just, well, never fit in until he did and found his vocation by stumbling into it and a story about his hometown, too. Again, Justin McElroy's story here on Our American Stories. 